Does it sound good in your ears? It sounds wonderful. Great. Yeah. All right. I love talking to you through the microphone. <laughs> Today on the program, we have Michael Manukian, a freelance video producer who chats with us about his method for working with clients. You don't want to set yourself up to make something the client is ultimately not happy with, even if it's a good product, even if it's a good video at the end. I mean, you just, you want them to be satisfied, you know, all the way throughout and at the end especially. As well, he talks to us about managing income and expenses throughout the year. I collect all my invoices and I get a, a picture of my gross profit per quarter. You know, am I trending up? Am I trending down? Is it my fault that I'm trending down or trending up? Or is it the economy's fault? I graduated from college with basically a business degree and a minor in French. And I got involved in a French theater company uh, in Arlington called Le Neon Theater. And when I was there, I was I was acting, and I was the managing director. And there, actually, I came upon calling Jackie Stevens, or Jackie Steven, excuse me, at Arlington Independent Media. And I asked if there was someone uh, on site or in the group that could possibly come out and videotape a show, because I really wanted to have this uh, production we were doing, a Moliere play, uh, taped. And she fortunately set me up with one of the producers to come over there, and he taped the show with one or two cameras. I don't remember. This was in the mid-90s. And it was from there that I kind of re-sparked my interest in, in in video production and the elements of photography, et cetera, et cetera. You were doing theater work. What what got you into theater to begin with? I did a lot of sports growing up. And so when I joined the theater company, I had my French knowledge, but I also had a very good, uh, strong background in, in physical theater and physical movement through because of sports. So I adapted pretty well to, to that kind of performance. And I was very much into performing a lot and after a time, I realized that it's very difficult to make uh, a solid living in theater or, or performing of any kind. And that's when my idea of, you know, earning more money somewhere else kind of was re- rekindled. And I had, through a friend of a friend, I had the opportunity to work on a large film. It was a major Hollywood feature. I got onto that film as a PA, an office PA, and then worked for three solid months as an office PA doing everything a PA does, um, you know, all kinds of errands, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was on that film, and that was a time when her boyfriend was Brad Pitt, and uh, she was dating Brad Pitt, and he came down a few times on the set for the weekends, and I actually paid a speeding ticket for Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Pitt because he had to be rushed back to Dulles Airport. And so as an office PA, I went to the local county courthouse and paid a speeding (laughs) ticket. How did you translate your interest and passion to getting into it professionally? Beyond just being a PA or beyond being a performer, I approached potential clients in the theater who I knew from the theatrical world of D.C., telling them I can capture their live event. Oftentimes it was a theater show. And I could capture it in an accurate way that they would have a great record of it. But I provided good service and I knew the environment of theater. You've really built kind of a, a business and you've started a business um, doing more, even more uh, varied video productions. Is that right? Many of the arts groups I serviced were nonprofits. So another obvious step for me was to help other nonprofits with their communication needs, specifically not just an archive of a conference, but something more strategic, a message they have to convey to their audience to uh, uh, expand awareness, uh, increase revenue, 
uh, increase funding for the arts group or increase funding for the nonprofit. Um, so those are, those are areas where I've expanded into, and they're critical to my success and also to people, the clients who I have, they're critical to their success and livelihood. And it's really interesting that you develop this kind of service out of your own experience through theater and your own connections through through theater. And I think that's a really smart thing if anybody's trying to do this. You know, it's, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit. It's, you know, you don't necessarily want to just jump in. You might have another way in that, that is more natural. In terms of being a professional, looking back and working with clients and, and invoicing clients and things like that, when, when was the moment that you looked at it, the situation, and said, okay, I'm doing this professionally now? In the early 2000s when I was doing work, I was using someone else's camera. And then around 2005 or six, I realized I'd had enough business and I had enough justification to invest in having my own camera. And so I bought a camera from a supplier up in New York and I bought a really popular camera at the time, which is the Panasonic DVX-100A. You know, when I, when I bit the bullet and did that and then a year or two, three years later, I had paid off the camera pretty readily. I knew that I was on the right track. And the only question is now, how do you keep investing? Where do you keep investing? What do you invest in next, et cetera? Take me through your process, if you don't mind, if you're, a- if you're able to share it, uh, in terms of you make first initial contact with a client they're interested in your services. And it, there's not one size fits all, but, but what do you find generally is, is what they're looking for? And how much consulting do you have to do to coach them and to bring them along? Ideally, a client would come to me through a referral. That's that's an ideal way to. I, I say that because if it comes through the referral, then you you're already off to a good start as far as the first conversation. If you're finding a client through a cold call or initial contact, uh, the chances of of them actually moving forward with something is 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 pretty limited or rare. And not to say it won't happen, but um, in any case, if you have a potential client, then the next step would be to take them through a creative brief process so you have an idea, a clear idea of what it is they want and if you can satisfy that uh, that need. Um, sometimes clients will come to you and their need is uh, not clear um, and they need, to, they need more time to develop it or the, the need is too big. I'm a sole proprietor, so I'm not making a feature film. But if it is well-matched and the, the creative brief kind of shows that and and you build a good rapport with the creative brief, I mean, even that duration of talking is important, um, then you move on to the next step of deciding how to execute it and, and making up a contract and then moving forward with the project. You don't want to set yourself up to make something the client is ultimately not happy with, even if it's a good product, even if it's a good video at the end. I mean, you just, you want them to be satisfied, you know, all the way throughout and at the end, especially when they get there, when they actually get there their service. From my experience, and, and I'm just starting off, I've learned a lot in terms of developing that initial kind of proposal, whereas I used to, there's two things that has happened as I've developed. I used to just kind of send an email or a Word document with a one-pager of, here what here are my rates, and this is here's some stipulations, um, and I wouldn't spend very much time on it. Uh, whereas recently, I will spend a good six to seven hours on a proposal, really kind of trying to get inside the person's head of wh- what they are, what they are looking for, but also where where is the price point and where can you negotiate on? Okay, well, you can't have 
three minutes of motion graphics because it's just not in the budget. Uh, but there's a template that we can use that would cost this much to, to for me to to f massage and put in. You know, so it's in terms of negotiating with that, there are solutions that can make it more affordable and more doable. What I find the success for me has been is actually like analyzing them and getting inside their head almost. Um, and then it's more of a, uh, a conversation that actually is pushes the thing forward, you know. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's a challenge because if you spend seven hours on something and then they are like, well, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, then then that's part of, you know, that's part of like the the sales agent type thing that you kind of have to go through that process. Uh, and it's and it's a loss sometimes and sometimes it pays off, you know. Yeah, what you mentioned is like the balancing act of how much time you invest in a potential client um, countered with the fact that you know that a certain number of potential clients aren't going to want to move forward. Uh, it might not be, have anything to do with you or your great proposal or your poor proposal. It, it could just be their indifference or they're unsure or or they have a better offer or or they don't have any other offer that they realize they made a mistake and and, and wanting this kind of service. Um, I mean, you've been a client yourself for for things uh, that you needed for your house or, or, or whatever you, you know, buying a new car and you, you've, you have to make all these choices. And, you know, when you're a consumer, you love having all the options and you tend to use them blindly. Uh, when you're a seller, you're super sensitive to the time investment and the energy you put into giving a pitch. And when it doesn't come to fruition, you feel like uh, you've you've lost out. Well, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but that's the way you feel. You know, I want to go back to something you said about rates. It's, I'll say this, as I have gotten better at pitching clients and making offers, it's important to recognize who you're talking to. And I say that because as freelancers, I know you freelance, you sometimes talk to people who are in the industry and they want your service, service as a script consultant, service as a director. And you're talking to someone who knows what that means. Exactly. And in that case, you're giving them a rate. And likely it's a day rate or multi-day rate. If you do that to someone who doesn't know what you're talking about, they're not in an industry. They have a company, they're selling a product, they have a nonprofit, they're raising funds. If you talk to them that same way, that doesn't help them to tell them your day rate. What helps them is to give them a solution. So more and more, for example, if I'm talking to ABC nonprofit, uh, and it's the executive director or the communications manager, and they want uh, a, thir a three minute video for uh, fundraising purposes at their next gala, it's important to tell them what you'll give them and that you can deliver a three-minute video with a certain number of interviews at a certain price. That's a solution they can deal with. If you tell them your day rate is XXX as a director, that doesn't bring them anything. So And they get scared thinking that it's going to be way too much money. I would love to hear more about your, like the, because you have a back, background in business, right? You went to school for business administration or management. Day-to-day, -day, what percentage would you say you you operate sustaining the business side of things as opposed to the production because for me as i'm getting into this i'm you know i'm starting to invest more right and little things like i bought this little adapter 
uh, on Amazon for $15. And then it turns out it was the wrong one. And I'm like... You can send it back and it costs you 15 bucks to send back. Right. And it's like, why did I do that? Why didn't I do a little bit more research? Given your experience, how do you make decisions on investment and, and what to get into? In business school, you learn about ROI, return on investment. When I think about buying a new camera that is a $10,000 camera, FS7, for example, I need to be sure that my return on investment within a year or two is reasonable. And that's the problem with, and particularly with cameras these days, is that, you know, one year a camera comes out and it's $10,000, the next year it's half of that. And the competitor of Sony, whoever it is, has, you know, a camera at half that cost, $5,000, but it's also twice as good as the original camera. So it's really important if you're investing in technology like cameras, like a computer edit station, like audio equipment, that you think about it and recognize, do you have the work to pay that off? Or will you have the work to pay that off? And just buying a piece of equipment does not justify its use. And it doesn't mean you have a client that will hire you to have that camera to use. Talk to some people coming out of class at Arlington Independent Media, and that's a big question of what what camera should I get? There's definitely ways in which people can get on a track, meaning that they buy the the T3i or T5i and work their way up to potentially a C300, right? I'll get some pushback when I say, you should check out this one camera. It's only $1,000. And they look at me like I'm crazy because- It's too cheap? No, it's too expensive. From a novice point of view or from a hobby point of view, it's a very expensive hobby to get into video in general. I mean, and, and people always want what's new and better and 4K and, and dynamic range. And it's it's hard to then justify, well, here's my $300 camera. And then they feel bad because everyone keeps talking about how this next model does it two, two points better or whatever it is. Um, but it, it's, it's difficult even from a pro- professional standpoint to to justify a $10,000 camera when there is that $4,000 camera that comes out six months later, like you said, it's, there's something to be said for stretching a camera that you, that you currently own and maybe trying to, to squeeze as much quality out of it as possible, as opposed to maybe investing. It's funny too, as we talk, there's so much talk about 4k and everything else. And it is, it is nice to have 4k so you can reframe and basically, you know, fix problems that happen in the field and things like that. But I was talking to um, Ryan Bowes, who works at DVG, and he was pointing out that there's a reason why that Mac calls it the the retina screen. That is the max that the human eye can perceive. Anything beyond the retina screen is just kind of extra, extra resolution that that kind of gets passed is wasted is wasted so once you start it's excessive so he said you you kind of max out at about 6k and that's where where the eye can actually see a difference that's the maximum threshold of of human cognition through the through the eye right getting back to your theater how you started right so you started in theater and you were doing the french theater doing all kind of some of the corporate work that you do is there any urge to kind of break out and do a pet project or something that's that's creative that you can kind of that comes from your brain that you can put on put on screen i had the idea recently to do a creative photo essay this is still pictures of my father's rug store 
My father runs a 100-year-old uh, handmade carpet store in D.C. It's the oldest carpet store in Washington. And so I went in there one day, and I took pictures of him, uh, his employees, and some of the clients he interacted with as he, you know, serviced their needs as far as carpets, what to buy, um, you know, repairs, et cetera, et cetera. And so carpets are inherently colorful, and uh, the the people who come in the store can be pretty colorful. So I did a, you know, a, a basic essay, photo essay on that. And uh, and that was fun, and I and I had a constraint on that too, and that was to use just my iPhone 4s uh, with some external lenses. So I I use uh, some external lenses, and some of the feedback made me think that well maybe this is better a uh, better off being a a trial towards doing the same thing but with a 5D or so, a more a, a camera more substance with a better chip, better imaging, um, you know, for reasons of light and clarity and sharpness of image. So I was happy with the way it turned out, with the limits I put on it. And at some point I might go back and do it again with a better quality camera, uh, a little more storyboarded as far as some of the shots I want and need and, and, and we'll see. So kind of coming to the end here, what advice... Uh, would you give to somebody just kind of starting off wanting to break into media? My big tips are the networking and doing that through groups, especially whether they're industry groups or uh, groups that um, might not be industry related, but might have a need for someone to do video production. Second is keep in mind the ROI, uh, return on investment, because that's king, as they say in the industry and in finance. And then thirdly, insurance. And this has gotten actually easier since the healthcare law passed. And by that, I mean specifically healthcare insurance. Now it's obviously required or it's going towards full requirement. As a self-employed person, I can't say strong enough that you need health insurance. I know this sounds kind of basic, but if you get sick or if you get hurt, you might not be able to work and pay the bills, but at least you're going to cover yourself medically and cover your savings and that kind of stuff in some way so that you can get better and then be back on your feet working. If you don't have health insurance, the backstop for you might be family and friends. And the last thing you want to do or I want to do is put family and friends out of a sizable amount of money because you didn't take the time to think about your own health. That's interesting that you bring that up because... I, there's a question I asked, and I asked like a series of questions, and it, I think it got lost. But um, I recently did this uh, survey of my time, so time management. And that's you were mentioning this before we started recording of, of the time is very valuable when you're a freelancer. And what I did Facebooking was doesn't pay. Right, Facebooking <laughs> doesn't pay. What I did was I, and it was based on a podcast I listened to. But they they said add up your internal time, meaning. Um, what you want to do professionally as an individual and then add up your external time. So your, your requirements that you have to do, you know, you have to go to your daughter's dance recital, for example, things like that, that are external that you're obligated to do and then subtract it by self care. You need to take a shower. You need to get at least, you know, six to seven hours of sleep. You need to, you know, and, and really plot all of that stuff out. And I did it. And I, I, plotted out January and I added up all the things I wanted to get done in January, all the things I had to do minus sleeping. And it turned out that I had had 97 hours of stuff that I wanted to do that that there literally wasn't time in the month for. So, you know, I was pushing myself to do all this stuff when I realized the sheer fact of there actually isn't 
time literally in the month to do it. And then what that does is it helps you set your priorities, you know? That's nice. So your expectations were way out of the way out of line. Right. With, and I, I mean, didn't realize it. And I get frustrated with myself that I'm not doing all the stuff that I want to do when you can actually look at it in a bird's eye and, and maybe change some of that stuff. Yeah. You're like perpetually behind. Right. And you're, yeah, and you feel mind. bad about it. Right? Yeah, I probably worked that way too. I guess my question that I had asked you that I missed is what percentage, if you could, in a real broad stroke, slice it up, how much time you're actually doing production per week versus, you know, working a client versus working on the, you know, the making sure that the, the business is running. If I had my druthers, I'd just do like production on set, for example. I mean, ideally, like just camera work for three to four days a week. So, you know, 60 to 80% of my time is doing camera work uh, at an event, on a set, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe one day off, 20 to 20 to 40%, one to two days off is set aside to deal with all the stuff to support that. I mean, if I was working, if I had a five day work week and I was working just, you know, five days of just constant camera work, that would be a, like a full a full-time job. Then someone else is doing all my overhead stuff. Right. My paperwork, my HR, my health insurance, someone else is doing that. That would be like an employer situation. But if, if I'm doing it, I need some time, maybe a day um, per, per week or four days per month um, to, to handle that. That would be a, a nice dream for me, if you will. I ran into a friend who's an older friend who's a consultant and not in our field, but he and some, told me something one time, which is interesting. This was when I was younger, and it never occurred to me to think like this because I was thinking more of an employee then. But he was like, he was like, I made my hours for the month. You know, he had an hourly rate, and he made his twenty-five hours of work for the month or whatever it was, and he was he was content. So I don't know how much time was left in that that month. Was it a week or something like that? But he didn't feel any obligation to work anymore, and he wasn't under pressure to work anymore for that month. So it's nice to have some of those numbers in your mind and some of that knowledge as a small business owner to to think like, uh, you know, I've made the grade this month or I've made the grade this quarter. I can relax a little bit or conversely, I'm not making the grade this month or this quarter. I I need to push myself and next quarter I got to make up for it. Because when the end of the year rolls around and you haven't made enough money, um, you, you're really hurting. If you're in the better position of it rolls around and you've made a little more, well, then maybe your estimations for next year need to be reevaluated. Re- uh, maybe you need to plan to make more money or, 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 or charge more, work less, what, what, what have you. Um, you have to, as a small business owner, every year you have to kind of look at that. If you look at it on paper because you have a spreadsheet, great. If you just know from your experience of dealing your own numbers, that's fine too. I Every year... When I do my taxes, I collect all my invoices, and I get a, a picture of my gross profit per quarter, and then I kind of generally compare that to the previous year or two. And, it, you know, am I trending up? Am I trending down? Is it my fault that I'm trending down or trending up, or is it the economy's fault? Uh, you know, it's not just never necessarily just clear cut. Uh, when the economy sank after 2008, I was doing well for 2008 and nine, and then things started dropping off kind of after the regular corporate economy had already dropped off. And I didn't understand exactly why, but I think in retrospect, it was because I work for nonprofits and their timeline is a little bit, a little bit behind the corporate timeline. So that was just an interesting phenomenon. 
uh, that, that I recognize and you have to deal with as a small business owner. My point of view, I'm coming at this having, you know, worked at Arlington Independent Media for, for a long time now. And maybe I'm, I'm naive and uh, optimistic, a little bit too optimistic, but I find that this area, DC, has does have a lot of work, and and if you're you know if you meet expectations and things like that, you can find good work. Um, and and the people that I've worked with, even though they're small, relatively small clients, they've never really done video before. And I think there's a lot of potential markets out there, and maybe you disagree or disagree, but it's exciting um, to. I'm excited to jump in and and learn from people like you who've <laughs> who've uh, been at it for a while. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of potential work, and there's a lot of people even still who who are new to video. So that's a double-edged sword because they're a new potential market. They might have an interest, but they don't know enough about it. So in the process of approaching them and discussing with them, you're going to also have to teach them what's good and what's bad. And you have to educate a client at the same time as you're servicing their needs to make them a video. And that can be uh, challenging because expectations uh, need to be managed and they can be all over the place. And unless you get a clear idea, for example, through a creative brief, through through early discussions about what they need and what they can use and what they can want and what's realistic, um, you can also run into the experience of like the expectation is way too high for the, the price point. So it's important to, uh, you know, negotiate that on the front end and control it and, and uh, you know, rein that in in order to, to, to give them a final product that they're happy with. Any final thoughts or? No, I mean, uh, I get, final thought. Uh, you know, go out there and network. If you're going to try to freelance or break into it freelance, you got to make connections. You got to make partnerships. You got to find mentors and you got to keep learning. You have to, networking is also learning whether you're taking a class at AIM or using online tools like lynda.com or going to your local library and reading up about technology or certain equipment. You you, you can't stop learning because that's the key to your, that's the key to your growth and your next success. And our industry the media services industry changes a lot every day. New equipment, new ideas, new technology, and if you don't keep up with it, you're not going to be uh, in front of the ball. You're going to be behind it. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Media on the Radio is recorded at Arlington Independent Media. For more information, visit arlingtonmedia.org. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. It's so easy. A lot of people have been giving me great feedback through email and in person, and I really appreciate it. But if you can just go to the iTunes page, find Media on the Radio, and just give us four or five stars or six or how many ever you know that they have, whichever the top number is, and then write a little description about why and how Media on the Radio has helped you in your life. It's changed your life, and it's one of the best podcasts, not only on the topic of media, but just in life.